Welcome everybody to Explorify Canada podcast, the future of personal finance in Canada. My name is Ryan Mirix. I'm from Kitchener, Ontario, and the author behind CanadianFire.ca and the co-host of this little podcast. Joining me from Vancouver, BC is my co-host and blogger at EatSleepBreatheFi.com, Chrissy Kay. Hey, Chrissy. Hi, everyone. How are you doing, Ryan? I am fantastic. And you? Great. Sweet, sweet. Chrissy, you and I are both admins of Cheesify local groups up here in Canada, and we see a certain type of debate spring up all the time. In fact, if you look anywhere on the internet, you see this debate raging on. The question that sparks it all is always, should I pay down my mortgage first or should I invest in the stock market? Which really boils down to, at least in my opinion, should I reduce my debt load or go with the math? Do I sacrifice potential market returns for the guaranteed return of paying off my mortgage? This question is so famous that it's talked about on major fire platforms all the time, like Mr. Money Mustache or Choose a Fi. Everybody has an opinion, and I'm pretty sure the money mechanics rescue dogs even have weighed in from time to time. Chrissy, you've noticed this too? Oh, for sure. It's an age-old debate, whether it's in the US or in Canada. It's a constant ongoing battle for people and uh for some of us, it's not so hard to make that decision, for example, for me. But others have struggled with this because you really can't go wrong either way. It's not really a right or wrong decision. It's what makes the most sense for you. And so our guest today, Maria, with at the blog Handful of Thoughts, will be talking to us about this. So I'll just say hello to you first, Maria. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Great. Good. Thank so, you. We received a lovely email from you a while back, and I thought I'd just read it out to intro you and get us started. So you said to us, loving what you're doing. It's great to have a Canadian-focused FI podcast to listen to. I've binged from the beginning and look forward to new content. My goal is to one day be a guest on your podcast. I paid off my mortgage in under five years through various hacks. I know paying off a mortgage may not be the best investment decision, but it was the right one for our family. Please keep up the great content. The interaction between the three of you makes it easy to listen to. Definitely a new podcast I will be recommending to all my friends. So thank you for sending such a great email and thanks for exploring FI with us today. Oh, no problem. I'm super excited to be here. And uh, thanks for all the content you guys are producing. It's so nice to have Canadian, you know, specific content. There's not a lot out there, but it's coming. It's definitely getting more popular. Well, thank you so much. It's uh, when you sent that email, I'm pretty sure immediately I sent back, do you have a headset? <laughs> I, I didn't have to say really anything else. It was I really want to talk to you because someone willing to put in just a little bit of effort and talk about paying off mortgage. And I knew that this is a financial independence hurdle for everybody. Almost nearly every single person who owns a home has to deal with this question. And so I'm really excited to be able to talk to you about it today. Yeah, I, uh, it's interesting because we paid off our mortgage uh, and then have recently moved and have another mortgage again. So now it's the con- like we're constantly thinking about it again and debating what should we do now the second time. So it's definitely even if you did it once, it's still in the back of your mind all the time. So how about we start with a couple of minutes of you telling us your FI journey, how you started, how you paid off your mortgage, and then how you wound up with nine rental properties now. <laughs> so I've been on my FI journey. I think I was like almost a lifer. It, uh, without really knowing I was pursuing FI, I think I was pursuing FI. I've always been a saver. Um, I was that kid who just would hoard money and save birthday money. I never knew what I was going to spend it on, but I just would save it. And so I was always been a natural saver. 
And then I got, uh, when I met my now husband, he was not a saver. He was a bit of a spender. And so it was interesting kind of melding the two and we do joint finances and everything's together. And so it was interesting because we realized, well, I like to save and he likes to spend. So we found this kind of medium route of medium road of, okay, well, we can still spend and save and enjoy things. So that was really important to us. And because I was always, you know, a saver, I lived very minimally and I was always a worker. So whenever there was overtime or anything like that, we would definitely work. So it's very easy not to spend money when all you're doing is working. It's definitely good and easy from that road. So when we bought our first home, we, it was so funny. I remember we got, I think it was 3.79 was our interest rate. And we thought it's never going to go lower. We're going to lock it in. And then we just laughed because we had no idea what we were doing, obviously, because interest rates since went lower and up and all sorts of things. But when we first sat down with our mortgage broker, she had told us that, oh, well, you could do um, these bi-weekly accelerated payments. And instead of 25 years, you can pay off your mortgage in 20 years. And we thought, great, that would be awesome. I've always been debt averse. And so even though a mortgage, some would say is good debt, I just, to me, it was debt and I didn't want to have it. I always wanted to, uh, I never really wanted to own a home or be feel like I was locked down. So having a mortgage really kind of gave me anxiety. I didn't feel like we could pick up and go at any moment. So we locked it in, we did accelerated biweekly payments and we're like, okay, well we can pay this off in 20 years. That sounds like a good plan. And then we just really started, you know, kind of optimizing things. So we were travel hacking and uh, I got to travel a bunch with work. So then I would often just bring my husband along because my flights and hotels were paid for. So it was easy for him. So it was easy to kind of do that sort of thing. He worked a lot of overtime. I worked a lot of overtime. I went back to school actually and got another degree so I could double my income. Now my wages, I'm making almost three times what I was making when I first started out before I went back to school. So, I mean, there was all these little things that we did and we just kept kind of throwing money at the mortgage, throwing money at the mortgage. So we had taken a, an investing kind of online course for a while and I was so confused. I didn't know what was all these terms and it sounded so confusing as far as like, do you short sell or do you have a put or buy and sell and all these stocks and it would go up and go down. And I think we were very highly influenced by our parents. Both of our parents had paid off mortgages. And I mean, they had mortgages back in the 80s when interest rates were way higher and things like that. And they were so scared of the markets. And so I think there was a little bit of that in with us as well. So we were just like, well, we can control our mortgage. I understand a mortgage. I know how to pay off a mortgage. So let's just put our money at that. So we still invest into RSPs because we had company matching programs and we saw the tax kind of, we loved getting the tax deduction. So there were some years where we would max out our RSPs and then take that money and put it onto our mortgage. We kind of developed this like six months of the year we'd save for our mortgage, six months of the year we'd save for our RSPs, kind of a split thing. And we were lucky we were high earners with very low expenses at the time. We didn't have any kids or anything. So we just kept putting things at the mortgage. And then all of a sudden we'd get our annual reports and it would be like, whoa, we can pay this off in 17 years. Whoa, we're at 12. I think, and all of a sudden it was four years and 11 months. And instead of renewing our mortgage, we just paid it off. And it was just we had no idea what we, that was not our intention when we first started. Like I said, it was going to be 20 years. That would be great. 17, even better. And all of a sudden it just kind of got away from us and it just became like almost like a game. We just gamified and was like, okay, well, how low can we get this now? And, and then we were mortgage free and it was just like, well, now what do we do? And it felt like we were printing money every month because the amount of money you have to put on a mortgage to pay it off in five years is very hot. Like it's excessive. So now all of a sudden we had this disposable income every single month and we're like, 
oh my God, what are we going to do? And I remember talking to, we talked to a financial advisor and he, we still work with him today and he's awesome. And he said, well, cause we're like, oh, we're going to, we're going to get real estate now and things like this. And he's like, you don't need to, like you can, that's great, fine. But you really don't need to, if you guys just keep saving how you're saving, you'll be fine kind of in the long run. We're like, oh, okay, well we kind of want to buy real estate. Like again, real estate was just almost like a game for us. Um, but also part of the reason why we wanted to pay off the mortgage is I knew that if one of us lost our job, the other one couldn't afford to live there. So my husband makes more money than I do. And if he had lost his job or something happened to him, I couldn't afford that mortgage by myself. And I never wanted to lose our home. So if we had kids and they were growing up there, I didn't want to have that risk. And maybe that's kind of worst case scenario. And we had life insurance and things like that. And it was just a bit of maybe fear mongering, but I never wanted to lose that home. So that was really important for me. And everyone's like, well, you can leverage this and do this and get in real estate early. And I was, I was never comfortable doing anything until that home was paid off. And then after that, all of a sudden I was like, well, we have this extra money. What do we do with it? And again, we still at that point did not understand the stock market. That was our own you know, lack of information. And so we just started buying rental properties and using leverage. And then at first we were like, oh, we're going to buy 10. That seems like a good number. And then it was like, no, let's kind of eight seemed like a really comfortable number. We self-managed. So I told my husband, okay, no more eight. That's it. I'm done. And then when we found, we moved to a new home and it was, we bought because it was a buyer's market right now. And we're like, well, why do we sell our home in a buyer's market? So we converted that one to a ninth. And all of a sudden we're like, okay, now we have nine properties. It's not a long-term play. I think that ninth one, once the market picks up, we'll probably end up getting rid of it and kind of consolidating, you know, circling the wagons a little bit. But it's just, again, it's a long-term play. Real estate is our long-term, you know, 10, 15 years from now, it's really going to pay off for us. So we don't have to work as long kind of thing. And then, yeah, it just sort of happened. It snowballed from there. Once you started making a game out of it, it was like, oh, we can do this. And everyone thought, well, you must be like not having a life. Like you must be eating, you know, rice and beans every day. And we're like, no, nah, we still travel like internationally every year. And we still did all these things. And everyone's like, how did you do it? And we're like, Honestly, we don't really know. We just kind of optimize things and we're not, I mean, we don't have cable. We don't spend money on that. We don't buy new vehicles. We don't, you know, have, we live in Edmonton, so we don't have like skidoos and all those kind of things. But yeah, I just, we kind of aligned it with our, our spending with our priorities. And that was really what was the key to it, I think. So I want to take it back to when you said that you chose accelerated biweekly payments. And this is really the first, I think, actionable tip that people can take away from this podcast is that there are several options for paying down a mortgage that the bank will present you with just for making the payments like weekly, accelerated weekly, biweekly, accelerated biweekly, and monthly, I think is the other option. And just by choosing the exact same payment amount, but choosing something with accelerated in it instantly wipes out four years off of 25 year amortization. And that's really magical. And I think it's also really like, I wish at the time, like it, when we signed up for our mortgage, nobody was even talking about like a 15 year term or a 20 year term. It was always like, well, you get a 25 year term. That's what you get. And so I think also like looking at, well, what if we got a 15 year term? What would those payments be? Cause sometimes those payments might also work. So you don't necessarily need that accelerated, but you're shortening your amortization or your loan time anyway, that way too is a good thing to look at. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned also uh, before that you really gamified paying down your mortgage. So if you don't mind sharing who your mortgage was with or how you could, like, were there prepayment options that you took advantage of? Is, is that how you got it down, you know, from the 19 to the 17 to the 12? And then it just became a game to you? What what levers did you pull there? Our uh, mortgage was with Bridgewater Bank. I don't even know if they still do mortgages anymore. We So we had gone through AMA through their mortgage kind of team, which again, I don't think they do anymore either. So our mortgage was with Bridgewater Bank. And so we could put down 20% a year. 
as a prepayment option without any penalty. So one thing that we did was we would always track it. So anytime you put, we'd send them a check. It was nothing was online at that time. So we would send them a check and then they would send us a new updated statement. And so you could see like, oh, these are the next set of payments that we're going to make. And look, just by putting that extra, you know, $1,000 or whatever it would do, that would make the next mortgage payment would be way more towards principal and less towards interest. So we got to kind of watch that and it would show, well, now this is how much you have left on your mortgage. And it kept knocking down that time. So I think that was one of the things that we could just, it was so easily trackable and that was sent to us. And so once you could track it, it was like, oh, okay, I can see what happens. So one of the things we did, which I don't know if it's really fire, or I'd recommend it to people is we didn't have an emergency fund. So we would just save this bundle of cash. And then once, uh, once a year, we would put it towards the mortgage. And then another time of the year, we'd put it towards our RSPs, depending on the time of the year. So our mortgage anniversary was in August. So before that anniversary, we would put a lump sum payment down. And so then that next month, we would kind of be, if emergency happened the next month, we would be like, okay, now it's going to go on the credit card or things like that. We were lucky to never have an emergency that next month because then we would just start stockpiling cash again and then repurpose it again in January. It would go to the RSP. Yeah, we did something similar to that. We would max out our RSPs or at least put enough in that we would nullify our taxes and get a bit of a refund. And whatever we got in refunds, then we would put that straight towards the mortgage. So it was tackling a bit of both. We would save for retirement as well as pay down our mortgage. Absolutely. Yeah. I also just wanted to share that my mortgage, I started it with RBC and actually renewed with RBC as well. And the reason why I liked it is because they offer a 10%, not 20% like your bank did, but 10% prepayment each and every year on the anniversary. You could do it anytime between the anniversary. So you had 365 days to come up with the money. You could also increase your payments by 10%. So if you agree to a biweekly payment of $500, you could immediately up that 10% without any type of penalty. So now your payments became $550 every two weeks. And the real kicker for that one, because that's not a lot of money. I mean, $50 might seem like a lot of money to you. But when you're amortizing, you know, a $300,000 home, 50 bucks extra is not going to do a lot. It's not going to put a huge dent into it. But if you can double it again, that would be fantastic. And that's the third prepayment option that RBC has given me. So I was able to double up, including the 10%, any single time I wanted. I could do it every single payment. And that was what my wife and I have done. So instead of 550, now it's 1100 every single time instead of the original 500 that the bank had agreed to. And coming up with this cash, of course, is quite hard. And it doesn't come out of nowhere. And you kind of have to really plan financially and budget very stringently to come up with this cash. But it is doable and it is possible and that these are the steps that you have to take to paying off your mortgage sooner. So Maria, I'd like to ask you, what steps did you take purposely in your life? I know you said that you're a natural saver, but coming up with this money had to come from somewhere, even if you're just saving it and investing in the stock market or what have you. So where did you come up with the money to begin prepaying your mortgage in such substantial amounts? Well, before I get to that, I think you really had a good point, Ryan. I think so many times we get hung up with what the mortgage rate is as opposed to what the terms are. And the terms can be so much more important in the long term of that mortgage than just the rate. So I think oftentimes when we're looking or shopping around for mortgage, we're looking for the best rate when those terms can also make a big difference. I mean, if we didn't have the terms that we had in our mortgage, we couldn't have paid it off in five years. Uh, even if we wanted to, right, there would have been a penalty there. So I think that's also important. And I don't want to kind of gloss over that, but that's also kind of important to look at as well. So one of the things that we did was we looked at 
well, first thing we did was we moved in together. So before we, uh, I was living in a one bedroom apartment. And so it was, we were living in downtown Edmonton, one bedroom apartment. And my husband, well, at the time we weren't married, but he had moved in with me and it was cramped and tight. We had 700 square feet, which could be very big, but I was renting from a friend of mine because she lived uh, overseas. So all of her stuff was in the condo. All of my stuff was in the condo. And now my husband, well, boyfriend at the time was moving in and all his stuff was in the condo. So we had <laughs> wow. we had a one bedroom apartment that slept probably like 10 people. It was nuts because um, we had all these couches and futons everywhere. But it, I mean, we were not there very often, so it didn't really matter to us. And we worked like we our motto at the time was like, make hay while the sun shines. So if there was overtime, we took it. If there was, I mean, I was working two jobs at the time. So I was working two jobs. My husband would work overtime and we wouldn't see each other very much. But again, it was like, okay, it's time to work. And then we would take vacation. So we might take a month off together. And then it was like, okay, let's recharge, reset. And when we were taking that month off, we were often traveling and just trying to optimize that travel. So we went to Thailand on travel rewards points. So I mean, Thailand is a very cheap country to visit. And the most expensive thing is the flight. So if we can get our flights paid for with credit card points, then all of a sudden that trip's not really costing us a lot to be there for a month. But it was that time that we needed to just kind of recharge. We made sure anything extra we had, we sold anything that we didn't really need, except for our apparently like three futons and two couches that we had in our place. But anything extra we got rid of, and we'd sold and made sure we just really pared down to only having the bare minimum. It was funny at the time, my husband was working up in Fort McMurray and I had a smart car. So he actually would drive my smart car up to Fort McMurray and they would mm-hmm. laugh at him because everyone mm-hmm. up there is driving these big old trucks and everything like that. And so they'd all be like, hey, let's go out and we're going to go partying on short chains. And he's like, my wife won't let me. Can we just like party at home and then go out? Like, I can't afford to buy these like $200 rounds for everybody kind of thing. My wife would kill me because we had made a sacrifice at the time that he was going to go up and work in Fort McMurray while I still live down here. So he would live in both places. And we were going to do that for a short period of time to get ahead. It wasn't meant to be a long term thing. So every time he went up there, it was like, no, we're not going up there so you can party. We're going up there to get ahead. Like we just had that vision and that end goal. And I think that was what was really the motivating factor. Uh, we just made those sacrifices because we knew that at the end, it would all be worth it. What can I say? Young men love their money, right? I mean, the oil sector. Yeah, I, c- I can only imagine the amount of internal peace and tranquility it took for a man to drive a smart car to Fort McMurray, the heart of Albertan masculinity <laughs> and oil rigs and all that, right? And uh, there's an air base as well right by there too, which probably doesn't help things. So <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that takes a lot of guts. That takes a lot of guts. Um, but really, to make it more serious, it sounds like you just made sacrifices and nothing was really freely given to you. I mean, you're able to rent this condo, but it was small and you admit that it wasn't exactly the best place because it was cramped. You had multiple people with multiple possessions anyways, just everywhere. And your boyfriend or then husband, you know, went to leave and live in a different city. A lot of people are not willing to make that type of sacrifice, let alone drive a smart car to go get laughed at. I mean, like, of course, you know, the money comes out. And that's why everyone's out at the bar buying $200 rounds. And then they head to the Ford dealership to pick up the brand new F250. But you guys made sacrifices. And I think that is a very pertinent part of your story. This is how you're able to pay off the mortgage sooner. It's because you're not blowing your money on a lot of stuff that the average Canadian does. 
Absolutely. And I think as much as there was sacrifice, I don't think we ever felt deprived. So, and well, you can ask my husband because he always tells me he feels <laughs> deprived. I steal all his money to save it. But it was never about deprivation. I mean, it wasn't driving a brand new pickup truck wasn't important to us. So the smart car was fine. Right. And, but we still wanted to travel. So we did that. So it was just, it was a sacrifice. Absolutely. But we also wanted to make sure we lived our life. We could not, I mean, we're both millennials. We're not going to wait till the end to, you know, enjoy it. So we got to do it now. And I think that was an important part too, is a that yes, it's sacrifice, but you can also kind of put in those little things here and there to reward yourself. Cause if you don't like that five years would have been terrible. Had we not, you know, had those times where we went on trips or did those things like went out for dinner and things like that, that was important to us at the time. Yeah. I feel like this is a huge debate, um, not so much within the fire community, but mainstream media likes to portray our community as being, you know, extremely frugal and there's a lot of deprivation, but a lot of us don't feel like what we did was deprivation because I think we're very clear about what our values are and what our goals are. And when we do the things that we need to do to get to those goals, it doesn't feel bad and it doesn't feel hard because we know there's something at the end that's even better than what we've got right now. And we make it work and we find happiness in whatever situation we're in because we know we're reaching for something bigger that's more important than all of this. Well, and I think it's interesting. So now that my husband, he's no longer working up in Fort McMurray, but he sees some of those still the same people. And he's like, well, yeah, like I didn't have a mortgage and I could do these things. And I mean, we just had, uh, we've got a little 13 month old at home and he took four months of parental leave so that he could be at home with us sort of thing at the time. And it was just like, everyone's like, whoa, who does that? Like, that's not something you do in the oil patch and things like that. And it was like, well, no, this is what's important to me. And we've aligned our spending to be able to do that, right? We don't have a lifestyle where we spend every single dollar we make. We can afford to do those things. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, wait a second, how are you doing that? And now all of a sudden, now that we're on the other side, we get a ton of questions and are like, so how did you do that? And you seemed like your life seemed okay at the time. And how do we do that? And we're getting a lot of questions and stuff like that more. Cause it's like, no, you can like live your life and still achieve your goals. And so I think that's also really important that doesn't get put in mainstream media. You're, you're right on that one, Christy. Yeah. You wrote about that in your financial freedom mindset article, where you said it ties in nicely with the slow-fi mentality that is put out there by the pioneers. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd love for you to talk a bit more about that, your financial freedom mindset, where you know you can you can live this abundant life on the way to financial freedom. Yeah, I think that really came to light whenever we would travel, all of a sudden we would just get this feeling where it was like, oh, life is so great. Because whenever we traveled, we had we had our money set aside and we weren't thinking about that or thinking about anything else or work. And it was just like the feeling you get when your shoulders relax and everything, it was just like, this is what we want. Like, this is what we're working towards is this feeling. And it was like, okay, so now when we come home, how do we get more of that? Like, how do we figure out how to do that, you know, get that feeling? And we started doing these little things here and there to make these adjustments and be like, okay, so when we travel, you know, um, eating out every now and then is important to us. So, so how do we do that at home, for example? And not just eating out for convenience. I hate eating out for convenience, even though it happens, but it's like, you know what? We really enjoy sushi. So let's go out and eat sushi because that's what we really enjoy, for example. And so it was like trying to figure out what are those pieces of that puzzle and how do you start living those pieces now? Because I mean, at the beginning we did, I'll admit we were very in this deprivation mindset. I mean, we cut our budget to the bone. We had allowances and it was just, it was funny to hear my husband talk about it now because he always tells people that he was on an allowance and things like that. But it was, and so as soon as we paid off the mortgage, he's like, I'm not having an allowance anymore. And it's like, okay, but I still want to like achieve things. And it was like, well, no, we can still do that without having, you know, those allowances or cutting things. And it was just, 
How do we slowly ease up on those purse strings? And how do we start to do those things now? So we don't have to wait until we're five. Because if you did this whole deprivation for a long period of time, it would not be enjoyable. So I mean, we just moved to a bigger house because it's a way better fit for our family. And we're way happier here. And it was like, Yes, we have a mortgage again, but and it might delay with the time when we're both, you know, not working or achieve five, but this is the right choice for us right now. And if we can enjoy that way more along the way, that's that financial freedom mindset. It's not waiting till the end. It's how do you have that mindset now? So you slowly make those changes and all of a sudden it's just this gradual transition and not just this full on end stop. You know, isn't that funny? Because there are certain things around the house that my wife and I want to purchase and our old default like response to it is, well, we're going to get that once we're mortgage free, you know, like we're going to pay off our mortgage really soon, less than a year from now. And you know what, that'll be a post mortgage expense. You know, it's funny that you say that it is a little bit of sacrifice. And I guess it is like a little bit of deprivation. I know people hate using that word and associating it with the F5 community. But we should be buying things that we value now. And I advocate for that on my blog, and certainly I advocate it in the podcast and on the Facebook groups. But I don't know. There's just something about buying decorations for Christmas that make me go, oh, no, don't please don't spend money on that. I, I would like it, but I don't want it because I'd rather pay off my mortgage. But once the mortgage is paid off and money would be going into investments, I, I kind of think like, oh, yeah, you know, like, yeah, that reef looks really nice. Like, we should totally get that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand why I have that behavioral process, but I do. And I think a lot of Canadians are like me. And I think it's funny that when you relax, like my husband is very good for that. He's very much like, we need to spend on what we enjoy. And I'm like, no, we can save it and save more. And he just laughs. But I think it's interesting when you do kind of just let it go and just like not spend at will, but just spend, align it. All of a sudden you realize, like, that's one thing I realized with my husband, like, hey, fine, just go do whatever, spend whatever. It's like when we calculated at the end of the day, we didn't actually spend that much more, but it just made us so much happier realizing that we could, for example. And so, yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, when you get to that point where you can buy that wreath or that decoration, it's just going to feel like, you know what, we could do that. And if you counted up the money at the end of the year, like the year after your mortgage free, how much more money you spend on that, you'd be like, oh, we didn't actually spend that much more on it, but it made us that much happier to be able to do so. I think it is time for us to start the debate and make a lot of listeners mad, maybe make a lot of listeners happy. <laughs> and I want each of us to actually share where we side on this type of debate. The debate that we are discussing is, should you pay off your mortgage first or should you be investing your money instead? So do you go with what your gut says? Do you do you have the fear of missing out when it comes to investing? You know, we're looking at these amazing stock market gains and having this historic bull run over and over and over again. So mortgage rates are so low and there's all these points on either side and money is mostly behavioral and you should you should just be happy and you should get value of what you spend on and does debt reduction make sense i think it is a very exhausting debate but i just want to take a few minutes for each of us quickly to say what side we're on and why and maria because we're focusing on your story today i would like to start with you Oh, great. Um, I am so torn now that we have a mortgage again. I don't know because we're a bit more knowledgeable in the markets and things like this, but I think it's going to go back. I know we're going to go back to our gut and what we know, and we're going to pay off this mortgage. I just know that that is the thing because yes, the markets could go up, but the markets could also go down and long-term they're going to trend up and all of that. I've heard that before, but 
I know that I can put money into this mortgage and it will save money. Every dollar I put, it's going to save me some interest and it's going to knock down those years. And just getting to that point of being mortgage free and that feeling of just having so much more options because now we have more cash flow. We have options. If one of us doesn't want to work or goes down a part time, it's a lot more open ended versus having money in the market where it's more abstract. Like, yes, there's money there, but where is it and how do I get it? It's not as liquid and things like that at the end of the day. So I'm definitely on the pay off your mortgage camp, I think. All right, Chrissy. I am. I don't have a clear cut answer because the early years of our mortgage, we were in the five and a half percent range of interest rate. And so it was easier to, and I also didn't know about leveraged investing or in, or any kind of investing, really. I was just doing the bare minimum. So for us, we were really focused on paying down our mortgage at that time. Um, knowing what I know now at those interest rates, I'm still not sure I would focus as much on investing as I do now. And now I am fully in the, you know, I've, I've leveraged our, our equity in our house to invest it. Um, so I've seen both sides of the equation and I can't say one is right or wrong. It really depends on what your situation is and how you're feeling at the time. I'm going to have to agree with you there because I think your answer sounds a little frustrating for people who want like a yes or no. But to be honest, it's not a yes or no answer. You kind of have to look inside your feelings and your own gut and just go with what you want. Because there are people who particularly come from a debt background, something like Dave Ramsey, where they followed the baby steps, and they're trying to get out of debt, and they only spend in cash. You're never going to convince them to Put, let, let the debt ride and, and invest in the stock market. It's just not going to happen. They'll be completely torn. And so my answer is basically do what you want. And I think that's as frustrating as your answer, Christy, because it's true <laughs> though. Like you have to really just go with what you think is right, not what the math tells you because money is behavioral. It is 100% behavioral. You can hope for the best stock market return of all time with one investment, but it doesn't make sense to invest once a year. You have to invest every single paycheck. You have to invest every single time money is presented to you. That type of behavior will make you rich. It's not the math. It's the behavior. The math is kind of, you know, the sidekick of behavior, right? Like the math will always agree with you. And I know in Quit Like a Millionaire by Millennial Revolution, they say, as a rule of thumb, they say 4%. So if your mortgage is under 4%, you should be investing. And if it's above 4%, you should be paying it off. I think that works for some people. And I guess that's kind of like a line in the sand. If, if you want to use that rule of thumb, then I say go for it. But if you're really torn on this, just do what you think is better. Because a lot of the times they will invest when they know they want to pay off their mortgage. And then they'll be tossing and turning at night. And they will always have this doubt in their mind at all times if they should be paying off their mortgage or not just pay it off if it worries you that much and I think it's a really good point Ryan that it is so behavioral I know for me now I'm crunching the numbers and I'm like I go to my husband I said well we could do this and look at the markets and he goes yeah that's great but we know how to do this and this is what makes us comfortable and it's a behavioral thing so I mean maybe it changes and how we adapt to the next few years I don't know we'll see but it is a hundred percent behavioral and you have to go with what you feel comfortable with and what's going to make you sleep at night and uh, like no matter what the math says either one I don't think you're going to lose on right either one you're you know 
you're investing or you're paying down debt or whatever in this regard. I mean, obviously credit card debt is something different, but whether to invest in your mortgage or invest in the um, stock market, you're not going to go wrong. I think both are going in the right direction. You're saving money, you're getting ahead, you're growing your net worth, whatever that may be. Both, you can't go wrong. It's really such a champagne problem, isn't it? Like when you think about it, because (laughs) it's kind of like I have all this money, I have this stable disposable income or what have you. And I want to deploy it so I can make myself richer. Do I want to be this rich by going through door number one? Or do I want to be this rich by going through door number two? When there's only two doors to pick. So you don't have to worry so much. You're going to be rich. Just chill. (laughs) You know, like it doesn't matter if you step through either door. I mean, if you really want, you could just go 50%. You could say, okay, half of my money I would be investing in the stock market will instead go towards debt repayment, you know? Bam, you could just do it like that. Nothing else like that could work for you. It really doesn't matter. It ultimately just matters. Whatever you want to do, just do it. Going with the math is still a behavioral choice because you're going to be investing regularly. So no matter what, you're going to be doing something that's right. That's the that's my position on it. And it kind of sucks because I wish there was like a very like easy answer, like pay off your credit cards at all time. That's very easy. No one has ever debated that in the history of FI. I know you're saying that it's frustrating for our listeners to hear this, but at the same time, I think us just discussing this helps people to really dig down and look inside themselves and decide what is it I want out of this whole decision? You know, they really have to think about what they value. Is it peace of mind or is it getting the maximum gain from their money? Each of us has to really do some soul searching to decide on that. And I think our discussion will help prompt people to look at all sides of the debate and and really decide what's best in their situation for them. And if they have a partner to involve their partner too, because that for both of us, Ryan, that's a huge part of making this decision. I mean, my husband was on board with the leverage investing, whereas your wife was not. And that plays into it a lot too. Mm -hmm, It does. It definitely does. And for the past three years. So I, I got my mortgage with RBC in 2016. That was the first time I've ever bought a home. I used the home buyer's plan from my RSP. We didn't have really any objectives to invest in the stock market. We kind of pulled out all our money from investments and put it into the home. And like Maria was saying at the beginning of her story, it's kind of addictive to start paying it off and you start gamifying it. And we had the same thing. Whenever you make a prepayment to RBC, they send you for whatever reason, they can't, they can't stop this. Like It's just not in their system for some reason. They send you in letter format your updated terms because you've basically changed the original contract or whatever because now your principal is different. So they have to recalculate everything and tell you the actual interest. And so when you double up every single week like I'm doing and you're making these payments, they keep sending you every single week these stupid letters saying, here's a new principal amount because I kept changing the contract essentially, but I was doing it with penalty free. So it didn't really matter. But getting these things and my wife would see it and she'd say, oh my gosh, like, look, like we just knocked a year off in like three months or something or in like one month of payments. Like that's, that's all it took because when you front load so much of the principal, the interest becomes minuscule. And then the amount of years you have to pay off the mortgage shrinks rapidly. And then it does turn into a game and you're like, can we do more? Like, why would I put money into the TFSA when I can get more happy little envelopes arriving in my mailbox? It's, it's addictive. 
Well, and one thing with that addiction is that you're always, whenever you pay off, you're getting ahead, right? Yes, I could put that money in the stock market, but then all of a sudden if the stock market goes down one day and you check your statement, you're like, oh gosh, we just lost, you know, whatever it was we lost. We're, with the mortgage, you're never losing, right? You're just, it's like this constant gain. So the psychology there really plays into effect. And so I think the big thing is whatever you choose, investing, mortgage, whatever, is just don't get hung up in this analysis paralysis, right? Like make a decision and just keep making that progress. And whatever it is, then you're going to see the benefit of that. It also is important for each of us to keep in mind that this doesn't have to be a permanent decision. You know, we always try one method or one choice, whereas to focus solely on the mortgage. And we could revisit that at any time. As long as we're making our obligatory payments, we can always hold back and not go full force into paying down the mortgage quickly. We can always go back to, you know, balancing it with our investments or, you know, take slowing it right down and then focusing more on the uh, investing side of things. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not a hundred percent black or white. You're fully committed uh, decision. You can always revisit. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? So a lot of people, when they bring up this debate right now, they look at the historic bull market that's happening. The U.S. market, you know, averaging 12% or something since the financial recession in 2008 and nine. I mean, yeah, obviously, duh, now the math makes sense. And everybody would pick that if they could do that. But you can't, you can't predict the future. We have no idea what the 20s are going to look like. So for example, if someone is taking the journey of paying off their mortgage, and let's say there's a massive financial correction in 2024, and they paid off their mortgage the month that correction happened. And then they start investing into their TFSA and buying a broad market you know, index fund. Like They're laughing at you because throughout this entire time, up until 2024, you made 0%. Let's just say that's what happened to your investment, right? Let's say you literally corrected and you've made absolutely zero money to show for it between now and 2024. Whereas the person who is paying off their mortgage uh, at a 4% interest rate now has a guaranteed 4% rate of return, right? And then you're going, oh, it's a crappy way to think about it. And really, both of you made good decisions. It's just very easy to cherry pick the right one when you have the crystal ball in front of you and you can see what happened in the past, right? So I... That's And that's the part of the debate that I think that everybody gets really tied up in. And when people lean towards the math, they're really looking at the last five or 10 years, you know, this historic bull run that the US market has had, you know, that's very convenient to look at that and only factor that. But if you were to look at the decade before from the dot com bust to the Great Recession, the US market, I believe it was the S&P 500. Don't lynch me listeners if I got that wrong. But it was the S&P 500 that returned zero during that time. So anybody who was paying off their mortgage easily came out ahead, right? So when you cherry pick stats, the math will always look better, or the math will always look way worse. But I think they're both sound financial decisions. Something I advocate for when people are confused about this decision, you know, RSPs, TFSAs versus mortgage is do both, you know, then it's like dollar cost averaging, make your mortgage payments, but maybe don't pay extra if you don't have it, use it towards your RSP, and then whatever tax refunds you get, then use it as a payment towards your mortgage. And also, of course, take advantage of matches that you might have. So maximize that to get your employer's matches. And, you know, then you're getting the best of everything and you're not stretching yourself too thin. And for us, it was a very comfortable way to keep on top of our RSPs and make sure we're still investing, as well as being able to afford our mortgage and feel good about being able to pay it down a little faster. 
Well, and I think that's also important too, is that you don't have to put all of it on it, right? Like maybe you get all of a sudden this influx of, you know, $500 or a bonus at work. Maybe that's the only extra thing you put on your mortgage or whatever that may be. It doesn't have to be an all or none. It can be even this extra little bit, right? Like Ryan, you talked about increasing your payment by 10%. It might not seem like a lot, but that 10% could shave a year or two off your mortgage at the other end, right? So just don't think you have to be this big grandiose thing. Every little bit, whatever you can do or you know feel comfortable with is going to help in the long run as well. Mm-hmm. I think if someone were to come to me with their numbers and say, listen, I want to know if I'm doing this right or wrong, and and they had chosen the prepayment options, you know, they could fulfill most of them, but they also wanted to contribute to their RSP and their TFSA. Like that to me would be perfect. I think if I were to look back at everything, hindsight 2020 being as it is, and well, I guess not 100% because then I would, I would never pay off my mortgage, I'd be investing in the stock market. But If you were to just present me with these numbers and say, going forward with the future, because I know it's uncertain, I don't know what's going to happen, I want to fill up my tax advantage accounts and then begin prepaying my mortgage. To me, that is probably the best answer that you could come up with. I feel like that satisfies both the behavior and the math. Absolutely. So I think we've done a good job of tackling that. (laughs) We may not have given a straightforward answer, but... I think we gave our listeners a lot to think about and, you know, many different ways to look at the situation. So we have a bit of time left. I was wondering if we could get into, so you were mortgage-free, but now you have nine rental properties. So clearly you are not mortgage-free now. No, not at all. (laughs) Yeah. So how are you balancing that? Because it's nine properties now that you're carrying, or is it 10 properties, including your primary residence? Do they all have mortgages? Yeah, it's 10, including our primary residence, and they are all currently mortgaged. Yeah. Okay. So how are you balancing that coming from being completely mortgage-free to this? Uh, So after we became mortgage-free, one of the levers we pulled is we got a HELOC, so a home equity line of credit onto our primary mortgage, and we used that to put down payments. So now we're using kind of this leverage investing to put down payments on properties. And so even though we have these rental properties and we have like 10 mortgages, in my mind, it's just the primary residence has the mortgage because all of our rental properties, all cash flow, they all pay for themselves. They're all making money every month on top of paying all the expenses. So to me, that's like, okay, that's the business side of things. And the personal side is, okay, we have this one mortgage that we want to attack and things like that. So we're not drawing any money off of our Uh, rental properties, all that money kind of goes back into it and kind of sustains itself and pays for itself. Eventually, I mean, in a perfect world, all those mortgages are paid off and we're generating all this income and we're not working and, you know, we're footloose and fancy free sort of thing, but we're not at that point yet. So it's uh, it kind of, yeah, in my mind, it's almost like these two entities. Cause I know again, worst case scenario, if something goes on, well, we have equity in all of those rental properties. So if we had to liquidate our whole portfolio tomorrow, we would not be losing any money. And so, you know, maybe, maybe, who knows how much ahead we would come out. We'd probably come out still pretty good, but we would never lose money in those investments. So that's, Again, even if we're just still practice zero where we are, well, that's okay kind of thing. So we're not losing the roof over our home or anything like that. And psychologically, how are you handling this? Because it sounds like you gain a lot of benefit from the psychological piece of knowing that you had no mortgage. So how do you now balance that when you have 10 mortgages? Uh, again, I think, again, in my mind, it's almost like it's very kind of segmented. So in my mind, we have one mortgage on our property because all of our properties, all of our rental properties are fully tenanted. If we have a vacancy, then it becomes a little bit more, um, then we kind of get a little bit more worried and there's a little bit more psychological play. But as long as those tenants are in there, we have great tenants, they're paying the rent every month. All of a sudden it's like, 
well, we're still gaining every month, right? We do that net worth statement a few times a year and we're still going up and up because they're paying off those mortgages. So it's only when those properties are vacant that we become very apprehensive. But other than that, as long as they're full, then realistically, in my mind, it's that segment, we only have that one mortgage on our property because the rest is, you know, good leverage or debt or whatever you want to call it kind of thing. That's so interesting. Thank you for clarifying. That makes so much sense to me now because uh, I also think of our leveraged investing. We don't use it for real estate. We use it to invest in the stock market. But I also think of it that way. It it just feels different to me than mm-hmm. a regular a mortgage on our primary residence. Yeah, it just yeah, it's something. It's so funny because when we calculate the numbers, we're like, oh my gosh, we're over two million dollars in debt. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, that's okay. You know, it doesn't even affect us. It does not affect my ability to sleep at night or anything like that kind of thing. So, which I know some people it would, but for it's just, yeah, it's like, well, no, our house right now is not making any money, right? Like that's the liability. It's not a money-making asset. So our primary residence, that's the mortgage that we're worried about kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you've brought up our, probably our favorite topic to talk about, which is the Smith maneuver. And you're, you're taking a tax deductible <laughs> loan from your, using the equity in your home to buy investments. And that's a very, very, very profitable strategy for Canadians to use. So that that's how you bought your first home. I, I'm, I'm curious now, because when you bought your first home, did you only withdraw the amount you needed for 20% of the rental unit? Or did you withdraw more than that? Well, we had the HELOC for the full 60%, but we only withdrew what we needed for the down payment. We actually, so the year after we bought our mortgage, paid off our mortgage, we actually bought four rental properties that next year because we had enough oh cash. So then all of a sudden, because we didn't have a mortgage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. You're just swimming in it. Are you Scrooge McDuck? It's all- <laughs> <laughs> no, because we had, we had you got to think you had this mortgage, right? So now all of a sudden we have no mortgage. So you took this lick, this home equity line of credit, right? Because now you take 60% of whatever your house costs and you can, you know, now all of a sudden you have this influx of cash. So we would put, we use that and all of a sudden then what our, our old, what would be our mortgage payment, whatever we were putting towards our mortgage. Now we put towards our paying off our home equity line of credit kind of thing. And just, yeah, almost like a Smith maneuver at that point kind of thing. But yeah, it was a very steep learning curve buying four properties in one year for sure. It also helps that you live in Edmonton. Yes. uh, When I was doing real estate (laughs) research. Yeah, Edmonton is a good market to buy in even right now. Yes. It's just really good cash flow and, you know, property prices are reasonable and you know, the, I guess the vacancy rates are also quite low. So it's all working in your favor. Absolutely. And if it wasn't, I mean, we wouldn't be doing this. I mean, we know tons of people that like a lot of people from Vancouver are investing in Edmonton because what you can buy, I mean, what we bought our house for a three bedroom house, um, and we've got a suite in our basement. I mean, friends of ours in Vancouver can buy a two bedroom condo for that. Wow. Right. So it's, it also depends on where you are. Right. So you're right. Edmonton is very, it's very, it's as far as anywhere in Alberta, it's definitely the best, uh, real estate friendly for sure for investments. Is this because like, so you say that the market is good there. Does that have to do with the oil correction that happened? Why are the prices so good in Edmonton? Well, Alberta's always been fairly strong just because the like the wage, the average weekly earnings is really high sort of thing compared to the price of property. So your tenants can afford those higher rents and things like that. But Edmonton was also insulated a little bit from the crash because we have, I, we're a government town, right? And there was a lot of infrastructure going on. So when the oil crashed and Calgary was highly affected, Edmonton wasn't as effective because they were still building the new arena and there was a lot of infrastructure going in. And there's a lot of government jobs here that were not as affected from the oil, you know, boom and bust at that point. Wow. I love Alberta. I miss living there. I want to go back. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
I, d- I didn't miss yeah. the negative 40 in Edmonton. I was posted to CFB Edmonton for a year and a half of my military career. So I know Edmonton a little bit, um, but I absolutely loved Alberta. And I would go back, but Ontario is pretty good too. Sorry, I mean Ontario. Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get killed by my own residents soon, that's for sure. I think, Chrissy, it's time for our signature questions to end this podcast. So, Maria, we always end our episodes with our three signature questions, and I usually go first. And my question is, are you Team Phi or Team Fire? Uh, absolutely Team Phi. I don't know the whole concept <laughs> yeah. of, uh, you know, sitting on a beach retiring. I think we'll definitely be so-called, quote-unquote, retired early, but I don't think I don't think we'll ever stop working in some capacity, doing something, whether it be volunteering or something. Uh, but I think Team Phi. Man, we had a good string of guests that were really all about fire. So you just (laughs) squash that completely. (laughs) Awesome. So the next question is usually Money Mechanic who asks it. And he likes to ask our guests, what's something you DIY, whether it's on your house or on your car? Well, so growing up, my dad is, uh, he would rebuild like hot rods. That was his hobby. And so my very first vehicle was a hot rod and I (laughs) did all of the work on it and I learned how to do all the oil changes and everything. And I still, to this day, do my own oil changes on it. So I'm going to go with that. Amazing. Nice. That's a good one. Cool. All right. Well, the last question is by far the most important for this podcast. We are running a Canadian operation here. So I need to know when you go through Tim Hortons, what do you order? Oh, it's going to sound really un-Canadian, but I'm not really a big Tim Hortons person. I don't drink coffee or any form of caffeine, and we follow a pretty gluten-free diet, so it's not really they're not really user-friendly. Um, but before I went gluten-free, I'd have to say it would be a crawler donut for sure. The crawl? Oh, you mean the crawler? Yeah, sorry, crawler, crawler. <laughs> I was like, what's a crawler? <laughs> yeah, the tractor tire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, those ones, <laughs> yummy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> delicious i'm gonna have to change up this question because it's just becoming one of those things where people are like uh this is uh you know like forget about it being on canadian it's just unhealthy right yeah i mean i honestly don't go through tim hortons i don't know why i asked this question i should probably change it to something better like visiting places let's do that maria okay bonus fourth question okay where do you like to travel in canada or would you like to travel uh, well, one of our favorite easy places to go is Vancouver, of all things, because for us, it's an hour-long flight, and it feels so, because you're on the ocean, and it feels very exotic compared to Edmonton. It's just like, you feel like you get away, but it's, I mean, still Canadian dollar, and it's close, and yeah, Vancouver is, I mean, we could just go to Vancouver for the weekend sometimes. Uh, before we had kids, we would do that, but yeah, absolutely, that would be our easy go-to place. I haven't met anybody I like from Vancouver, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoops, Chrissy. <laughs> Just kidding. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing a bit of your story and tackling the never-ending debate of mortgage versus investments. Well, I'm happy to be here. So thanks and keep doing what you guys are doing. Yeah. Before we close off, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Absolutely. So I blog over at handfuloffthoughts.com and there you can find my Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, all of that stuff. Reach out, definitely send me an email and let's try to connect. Absolutely. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find all our show notes at explorifycanada.ca. Do you like what you're hearing? Help us grow by sharing the show with friends and family. 
please subscribe and leave us a comment or review on your favorite podcast directory. You can also find us at our own blogs, figarage.ca, canadianfire.ca, or eatsleepgreedfy.com. Our music today was provided by Purple Planet. We'll be back with another episode soon. We'll talk then.